People don't need feedback. They need connection. This is what helps to ensure that we're all, we're not those arrows going all over the place. We're one arrow, we're going together, we're headed in the same direction, and we're actually making quicker, more productive movement as a result of it. Welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO communications. My name is Oliver Aust, and I'm a best-selling author, CEO of EOPSU Communications. And today we have a special episode. We call it a toolbox episode because we're not having a CEO interview today, but rather someone who can help CEOs on a very important subject, which is company culture. Our guest is Kristen Meshburn. She's joining us from Tennessee in the United States, and she's a company culture consultant. I would add she's a real thought leader in this field of company culture, which a lot of people are talking about at the moment. It's certainly gaining in importance, and more and more people are aware how important company culture is, which I think has to do with the great resignation we are currently living through and probably other factors as well. So welcome, Kristen. Hi, Oliver. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. So my favorite one line definition of company culture is company culture is what happens when the boss is not around what is your favorite short definition of company culture uh, i love that definition for me you know i've got to be a little bit more uh academic about it so i always say it's the shared values beliefs and practices in an organization yeah that makes much more sense um and <laughs> I can totally see how that, that how that is a perfect perfect definition. How come you work in company culture? How, what what got you there? What, why is that your passion? Yeah, for me, my career started in marketing, and so I was really interested in the psychological side of marketing. Why do people buy things? You know, what drives them? That sort of side of marketing, and so from there, I began to realize that my marketing could only do as well as our customer service could do. And so I got really interested in customer service. So my journey for a while was how do, you know, how do we create the best customer service? Uh, and that's when then my logic went to, well, we treat the employees really well. That's how we can treat the customers really well. And so ultimately, that's where I started getting really interested uh, in culture was when I kind of understood that it starts with treating the employees well before we can do any of the other things that we want to do. Uh, and so I just, I fell in love with it and started um, doing a lot more studying from there. Interesting. And I think in some corners, at least, company culture still has this um, image of being a bit yoga bubble um, <laughs> rather than being, you know, a hard fact or hard factor in business. And you say, well, this is basically to build crazy productive teams. So exactly. is, is there any way of knowing how culture impacts the bottom line? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's so much research that's been done in a multitude of different areas. So things we're impacting, we're impacting retention, right? Whether people stay in an organization. This is a very hot topic. I don't even need to say very hot topic right now, right? We're, we're impacting uh, our ability to acquire new employees, how quickly we can get new employees and those things like that. Um, we're impacting productivity 
activities. So how, you know, how much are we getting done? How quickly are we meeting our goals? Ultimately, you know, it comes down to profitability. And that's what every CEO that I talk to, uh, while I have many CEOs who are very interested in the moral idea behind treating employees well, ultimately, it's got to work for your business. The business has to be able to see that there's some benefit. And we're able to establish that through tracking all of those metrics. Wonderful. And uh, do you see that there's there's more interest in the subject at the moment? Yeah, I, I definitely find that there are many people that are getting much more curious about it. They might be at the beginning stages of understanding what the problem is. So people say, I, I don't know, people may just not want to work these days or, you know, people are just quitting for no reason because they're frustrated. And, and they're taking that journey between understanding what is happening to them and what the real root of the problem is. And so we've got to get them to, to learn and develop and mature to understand that it's really the culture of their organization. And, and what can be hard for CEOs sometimes is it's a lot of things that you know they're setting the tone for. So the work that we're doing is not just not just simple arithmetic, putting in a model. There's some exploration that has to be done for a CEO when they begin to commit to a culture process. And that's why I love the CEOs that I work with so much because I get to know them. I get to know them quite a bit. I get to understand what drives them and, uh, you know, in turn, how they drive other people and those sorts of things. So it's really interesting. Yeah, and obviously I want to want to go through this process with you. How do you actually approach this? Um, but maybe sure. one question before, because when you come into an organization, there usually there is a company culture. So you, you're changing something that's always there. Always. Where does it come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, a company culture is just made from the people who make up that organization, right? People will say to me, like, I don't know if my organization has a culture. Of course it has a culture. If you have people working there, you have a culture. And while there's a lot of different things that are going to make an impact and make changes into that culture, uh, our CEOs, our leaders, senior leaders, the impact that they have is much more strongly felt than the impact some other people have in the organization. Because um, we are, you know, a hierarchical society, right? We look, what's the boss doing? What's the person who gives my paycheck? What are they expecting from me? So in that way, we begin to mold our culture to what the CEO uh is important to him, you know? And so uh, really it's something where some people would like to think that it's not as complicated as it is, that there's not made up of so many different factors, but the truth is it's it's different every organiz- in every organization. Yeah. And they're not just two or three levers you can pull and then all of a sudden it, it's working out fine. Exactly. So- so let's go through it. So let's say I'm a CEO. I come to you and say, okay, I have 150 employees. We are in the market yeah. for five years. Uh, we, are, we are successful, but I don't think we are successful as we should be. We've grown quite fast. So there are a lot of people here I don't know anymore. So it's not that I know everyone uh, I see at the coffee machine. And clearly, culture seems to be not what we maybe had in mind when we started the company. And if I'm honest, you know, we didn't really think this through. It was just survival and product market fit <laughs> and message market fit. And now we're here and it's harder to retain people. It's harder to attract people. So 
you said you could help me. So what what could we do? Wow, this is the exact conversation that I'm having over and over again every day. I so thought so. You, <laughs> you are you are right in the mind of a CEO. This is this is the kind of person that comes to me. You know, this is the kind of person that's trying to figure out what steps they need to make next. And and generally, when we're in this situation and what you've described, the best thing we can do is is really get an audit of what's happening. Let's do an assessment. Let's try to understand because as much as we'd like to think as a CEO that that we understand our organization, the truth is, you know, there are lots of factors that we don't see, lots of things that inadvertently get hidden from us or maybe even uh, on purpose get hidden from us, those kinds of things. And so uh, it's good to have somebody who can kind of come in from the outside, be able to look at it from that that higher level view using experience related to benchmarks and other best practices and those sorts of things. And so what we'll do is we'll you know start out something simple like an engagement survey where we can make sure that everyone gets involved in the process and then we can move to to things that are a little bit more, uh, we can get more learnings from them. So for example, uh, plugging in and doing a focus group based on what we've heard in our survey, right? Doing some individual interviews, looking at some of the metrics maybe that they haven't been looking at before. These other pieces help us to sort of put the puzzle together and understand what the true culture of that organization is. What kind of questions do you ask? Mm -hmm. So we start in something like an engagement survey. We would ask something like, uh, I am satisfied with my compensation. I feel like that's the scariest one to ask. Like (laughs) every CEO is like, who would say they're highly satisfied with (laughs) their compensation? Uh, But these are the types of questions. Even in an engagement survey, we can do something like 50 questions that can be answered in like seven minutes. So on average, our assessments take about seven minutes to get answered. People make comments, people go through an answer, and we're hitting on things like compensation, benefits, work environment, um, relationships, right? So all these different key areas, which statistically we understand are the things that are important to employees. So we're what my focus always is, is making sure that we're hitting on those areas that really move the needle in terms of metrics. So there's a lot of nice things to have, you know, like we could talk about pool tables and pizza parties and all those things are nice things to have. But ultimately, what makes the difference is when we can look at loads of research and say, these are the factors that really move an employee along in an engagement and product activity standpoint. Mm-hmm. Which factors are these? Um, and so there's several different factors that we can look at. My um, my uh, sort of playbook for this was done by Marcus Buckingham, and he wrote a really great book that encompasses all of this called The Nine Lies About Work. And so if you haven't picked that one up yet, I highly recommend it. And in the book, he talks about thousands of different organizations that he surveyed looking at high performing teams, defining this by you know, people who are highly innovative, missless days at work, people who, um, you know, people who uh, are getting great results. These sorts of things are sort of his metrics. And he asks these questions or makes these statements. And we're looking for the ones that are most commonly found in high-performing teams. So things like, my teammates have my back. 
I understand the mission of my organization. Um, I'm appreciated for the work that I do. There are eight different statements that really get at the heart of whether an employee is engaged and can be highly productive in their workplace. And so those are the ones that we're working on tweaking, right? None of the questions involve, uh, I have free snacks in the break room, right? (laughs) Or uh, some of these simple uh, culture hacks, so to speak, that people like to use as options. Uh, We want to focus on the things that are really making a big difference. Wonderful. Okay, so we take stock. We know what our people mm-hmm. think, and I suppose you look at different hierarchies and you know d- different parts of the company, different teams. So we get a good, good picture, good overview of where things stand, what people believe and believe to be important. Sure. What do we do next? Next, what we're going to do is we're going to plot out these different items. So which things are the things that are going to be quick wins for us? Because when we start any kind of culture project, we want to show people we're listening and build trust from the beginning. And, you know, this might seem like a very common sense piece of work, but what I hear most often with people who have tried culture transformation projects and have failed is that they miss this element of showing employees that they're listening and they're doing something with the data. And so what we want to do is be able to pick out what are some things we can do that are quick wins that will make a difference, help our employees to understand we're listening and following their instructions. Um, And then what are some things that are more long-term projects for us, things that will make a big difference, um, but might take a while for us to get there. um, And so we'll plot this out and there'll be plenty of things that sort of fall on the edge of would be nice for us to do, but just not a big priority isn't going to make a big difference. And so um, we'll begin to communicate this to the staff. And so what we want to do the whole time is help the staff um, to really be uh, involved in the process understanding that the culture is something they also create, giving them a sense of responsibility for it, and helping to make sure that it's totally connected to what they want. So we plot this out, and then we start making our moves, where we're going to hit on the four systems that help to make an organization a strong, high-performing organization. Okay, wonderful. And what are these four systems? Let's get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So these are in no particular order. So this is going to be different for every organization, depending on what they're going through. So what we want to do is create a culture where appreciation is in abundance. So we're not talking about just our um, leaders appreciating the rest of the staff. We're talking about everyone appreciating each other, right? When we talk about a comment, like uh, one of the things that we're trying to hit on here is my teammates have my back. Uh, I feel that my work is appreciated in the organization. This is what we're trying to move with with this initiative. And so um, what we do here is we help to um, train the staff on what appreciation looks like. So at the most basic level, we need people to understand what good appreciation looks like. Unfortunately, our culture uh, often appreciation is more of a platitude than it is uh, an actual specific 
actionable form of appreciation. So right, so, like oh, thanks, mate. Uh, exactly, I appreciate it. <laughs> well exactly. Exactly. I'll tell you the one that has always been the bane of my existence ever since um, you know I, I entered into the workforce is when a CEO, a leader, says to a group, "You guys are all the best. You are awesome." And I'm looking around at my teammates saying, oh, so we're all the best because she's like never here. She's never helping with anything. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. it's these things that we say that we have good intentions for that are really not landing in the way that we intend them to. So, um, so how, how do you do it right then? Yeah. So let's talk about, I have a formula that I use and, and let me say, you know, use this formula at work. It's great, but use it with your spouse, your partner, your, your friends like this. You're going to love this. This is a really good tool. So what we want to be able to do is we want to have both sincerity and specificity. So with those things, it's great to have a practice where you're really, you, a practice that cultivates gratitude. And so understanding if you sit down at the beginning of the day and you make a list of some things that really went well for you yesterday or things that you're looking forward today, inevitably some things that people on your team have done for you are going to make that list, right? Oh, I'm so thankful that Sally covered for me when I had to run out, you know, and help that other customer. I'm so glad. And you start to build in this idea where you're looking for it. So you're looking for specific things that people are doing. And then when you actually go to say those words of appreciation, what you can do is say something that's quite specific and why it was important to you, right? So uh, using the example of Sally covering for you when you had to go deal with a customer, you can say, thanks for jumping in and covering for me because I was able um, to help that customer understand what the issue was and we problem solved that. So we're, we're not only saying this specific behavior, but we're also saying how it affected you, right? Maybe it made you feel more comfortable. Thanks for standing up for me in that meeting and making sure that my voice was heard um, because it made me feel much more comfortable being here. And mm -hmm. so being... Yeah. Being able to explain those things, ultimately what that does for us is not only is the person understanding that you're being sincere because the comment was a, a very specific thing that you've said. And so you hit on that sincerity note, but it also tells them what behavior you would like to see again in the future. So they know that it was the fact that they were able to make your voice heard in the meeting that was what affected you. And so in the future, when they're in a meeting with you and they see this happening to you, they can do that thing, that be that behavior. And so you're really getting double duty for this, right? It's serving them because they're able to really feel it and take it in and appreciate it. But it's also serving you because you're able to explain what it is that you need from them and that you appreciate about them. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. So Perfect. So let's say we had the training. What's What do we do next? Yeah. So what we want to make sure we do with all of this, and, and if you have ever tried a project like this before, and again, it, it's fallen, <laughs> is because we need to make sure that it's much more than just a learning experience, but really becomes a habit, really becomes something that is ingrained within the organization. And so we're going to change some systems to properly reward people. So we're going to look at things like bonus 
incentive structures, reward structures, all these types of modes, and make sure that we've finely tuned this in order to show the appreciation in the way that our staff want. So one of the most common misconceptions is appreciation should be given with um, should be shown through money, right? And this actually ranks, I think, the most recent Gallup, 2019. I think it was number seven as the most important way to show appreciation was money, right? And it's the one that often CEOs go to the quickest. We often choose this. Uh, and I will say, it's a it's a nice, easy one. It's a nice, clean and easy one. We can just straightforward give someone a bonus or give someone a bit more money. But um, we really have to look into what's fitting our staff and what is it that they really need. And so we'll build some systems around that. We'll also do some coaching with that where we're making sure we're routinely talking through how's it going? How are you able to use appreciation? What did you do this past week that was useful to you? Have you had any breakthrough moments, you know, in, in the appreciation process? And really help it to stick, a, stick around long enough so they can feel that the appreciation has stuck, that this has become part of who they are as an organization. Wonderful. Um, so on that note about, you know, perks and, and salaries and so on, I think what's tricky is often that sometimes you need to take something away in the sense mm. that there may be a perk that people don't really appreciate, but still yes. once the signal of taking something away. And I had this conversation with someone yesterday and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a company of three, 400 people. Um, they have bought people public transport tickets. Basically, everyone has said, I, I would like one, which is quite pricey. But it turned out that half of the people who got it from the company, paid for by the company, didn't use it once. Mm. Then the company said, well, maybe you should contribute something to that. But it became a big issue internally. Mm. How do you deal with a situation where it makes financial and business sense to, okay, you're not using this. Let me take this away. Yeah. Um, or you contribute maybe without causing an uproar. Yeah, it can be tricky, right? Because we're talking about three or 400 unique people who have unique needs, unique experiences. Obviously, some of these people were using it, right? And so you're taking something away from those people. One of the things that I think make this always you know, be a little clearer, a little more smoother in the communication process is when you let everyone know, hey, we're looking at the way we want to reward you and we want to make sure that it's best for everyone within the organization. Be very upfront and honest. Here's what we're hearing. Um, these tickets aren't getting used and um, we're we're not sure what the next step's going to be. So we'd love to hear, what do you think we should do? Here are some options. We could, you know, ask for you to contribute. We could take them away and maybe give you something else instead. If we do that, what would that be, right? And so... Uh, you're able to involve them in the process. And I'm not going to say that this is going to be a slam dunk every time that, you know, everyone's going to be happy and they're all just going to go high-fiving with any change. I mean, this is impossible, right? The nature of people, but um, you will have much more success if people understand the perspective that you're coming from. Uh, and this is what we want to do throughout any kind of culture transformation project or really any work with other people is help them to be involved as much as they can in that process. Yeah. Yeah. Make, makes perfect sense. I mean, 
maybe the most uh, successful example of uh, participation is when I was when I was at EasyJet in charge of communications. There's a big big European airline. Mm -hmm. um, employee survey turns out that cabin crew hated the uniform. It felt cheap. They were wearing it 10, 12 hours a day. They didn't like it. So the company we said basically, okay, you can design your own, right? You design ah, your own uniform. Yes. Just mm -hmm. two conditions. Um, it has to have some orange company color in it and it can't be more expensive than the previous one. Off you go. And they did a fashion show. They were really engaged. You know, thousands of people really being part of this process. Mm -hmm. And it obviously raised employee morale because they felt good in what they wore. And I think certainly didn't suit everyone or everyone liked it, but at least they, they were part of the process. And I think mm -hmm. that's sometimes overlooked that if you want everyone to feel like they're part of the company, you need to treat them as part of the company. And that's what <laughs> I think there's, there's a disconnect sometimes, isn't it? There's absolutely a disconnect. And it sounds like the simplest thing in the world. You know, you want them to feel like it, make sure they're included. Logistically speaking, just, you know, uh, for a moment to be able to understand the plight of the CEO, this can be time consuming. This can lead to awkward conversations that you don't want to have. I mean, the, it's, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, but the principles are very common sense. I actually had a presentation yesterday to a group of uh, high school students. And so they were uh, in a special leadership program and then they had me be a guest speaker. And one of the people in the uh, in the group actually said when I finished the presentation, it, it just sounds like you're talking about basic stuff. I am. I, I think you've got it. You make sense. I am talking about just the basics of including people, helping them feeling like feel like they belong, helping them feel appreciated. These are yeah. basic concepts that everyone needs to be able to understand. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's ill intention that this goes off the rails sometimes. I think it's, no. it's as you said, lack of time is certainly something to do with it. Uh, these are mm -hmm. smart people. So if they had the time to sit down or the leadership teams think it through and say, okay, we, we can see where we fell short here. But lack of time is real. Absolutely. Um, who should be who should be leading internal communications and, and culture in your experience? Uh, this is a great question. And I think, you know, uh, there are nuances for every organization, obviously. But one of the things we need to understand is that whether we appoint whoever we appoint to be responsible for this, the CEO is responsible for this. And the reason why I say this is because everyone's following the CEO's lead. Everyone's following, you know, how they're acting. And, and for me, when I choose to work with a client, many times, you know, I'll have a chief operations officer, a chief HR officer that might come to me and say, hey, let's Let's do some work together. And what I have to look at is the CEO also willing to, to be involved in this process. Are they, are, how in your experience might they inadvertently cause this process to not work out for us, cause us to miss the transformation aspect of this? Because this is real. I mean, the, the nature of the hierarchy of an organization, we're always going to say, well, you know, if, if the CEO, if she doesn't have to... Uh, 
sort of follow up with on an email. I don't have to follow up on an email. I mean, she's running the place, right? This isn't, uh, I can yeah. do the same thing she can do. So uh, it does make it a little bit more complicated if we don't have a CEO who's really invested in the process. So ultimately, I believe that it is their responsibility, but it can be very helpful to maybe appoint some project leads or, you know, to delegate some responsibility, but it always goes back to the CEO. Yeah. And I think the person who's, uh, I totally agree, there needs to be this tandem solution and whoever it's delegated to it needs to be strong and confident enough to challenge the CEO and say, well, you haven't spoken to the teams for the last three months. That's, yes. that's not good. You need to do oh, that. I love this. I love this conversation. One of the things that we do in the process is begin to set expectations, right? And so that's another system that we'll implement. And it's not about just, and this can be uncomfortable for CEOs sometimes, but it's not just about what's expected for the employee, but what's expected out of them, right? And so yeah. we yeah. make this list of expectations. And then what we'll do is actually train the staff how to hold each other accountable to these expectations, because this is likely something they have never even had the experience of to be able to say to their boss, hey, we said that I'm just going to use the example of setting an out of office message. I know this is very specific, but we said we were all going to set out of office messages. And I emailed you a couple of times and there hasn't been an out of office message. Could you imagine in a traditional workplace what that conversation would look like. I can't imagine an employee being able to have that conversation. And in most of my organizations, when we start to work together, that's the situation they're in, where it would be very hard for an employee to hold someone in a leadership position responsible for something. Yeah. And so they have to have the tools. They have to know mm -hmm. how to do this. And unless we can sort of have that back and forth relationship uh, where we can discuss these things in an appropriate way, whatever we say the expectations are, are likely not going to be our re reality. Mm -hmm. This is the way we actually make our values stick, right? Is by making sure people are holding us accountable to them. Yeah. That's a fantastic point. And um, what would be the next step? So I don't want to lose track that we, you know, we're going sure. through your process. So there are a number of steps, but I have a lot of questions. So. <laughs> I mentioned the expectation portion. And so we, we've got appreciation and we've got setting some expectations here. So let's move on to using your strengths. So it's in the traditional workforce, what we see is a focus on weaknesses. What is it that you can do to do your job better? And so what we want to be able to do is sort of change our performance review system so that we're looking at strengths. How can we, how can we take your strengths and take them to the next level? What we understand at a basic level is that people are more likely to stay in their jobs if they're able to use their strengths. That's great. We want that retention. Uh, and, and this is not going to be earth shattering, but if people are able to do the things that they do well, they do better, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they, yeah. they, they are more productive if they are allowed to do the things that they actually natively, intuitively do really well. And so we need yeah. to discover yeah. those and we need to make sure that those are being highlighted and those are being pursued. 
really playing to people's strength or let people play to their strength because too many workplaces exactly. catch people when they do something wrong, but not really catch them when they do it right. And that 100%. obviously fosters a sort of uh, sort of passive uh, culture where people, oh, you know, I'd rather not make any mistakes. And I think that describes most corporates. Uh, startups tend to be a bit different, but most corporates are okay. As long as I don't screw up, I usually fine. Uh, but exactly. obviously that's not a high performance environment. That's just flying under the radar and just meeting the status yeah. quo, right? We mm -hmm. can't be innovative or creative or if we're living in that kind of culture. So we yeah. want to make sure that that we have that strengths culture. And, and then the, the last piece of all this is making sure that we have a good system for communication. And so what I call it is a communication cadence where we basically take every way that the organization is communicating, you know, are we doing email? Are we doing Slack? Do we have another project management system? Um, do we have monthly all hands meeting? What do we have? How are we communicating? And then we reevaluate every single one of these. So in our meetings, are these meetings actually effective? How can we make these meetings effective? We spend an inordinate amount of time in meetings. And the truth is most leaders are never even trained on how to have a good meeting, how to have a productive meeting, right? And so part of it is going to be, you know, the changing of that system, make sure we have some systems in place around that. But we're also going to train, help them to know how to have those conversations. I'm a huge proponent of one-on-one -on -one meetings. And so we get into a lot of detail about what successful one-on-one -on -one meetings look like, uh, the frequency in which we'll have them, how to set you up so that you're successful with them. All these different components are going to be so important. Uh, at the end of the day, to say uh, for our employees to say that they understand what the mission of our organization is and that they understand what they need to do in order to help the organization meet those. And so that's what we're we're trying to achieve with this kind of initiative. That, that's super interesting. So what kind of tools or channels or formats do you think work particularly well today? Uh, do I think uh, generally work well in the workplace? Or Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. As, an, as an example, you know, way back, uh, intranet, that was the thing. But it's just a message uh, yes. board on the internet, which hardly anyone looks at, uh, you know, maybe because to, but they want to see what's, you know, what's for, what's, what's, the, what's for lunch in the canteen. Um, yeah. But these are hardly interactive. And I know that they're new iterations and they're social intranets and so on. Mm -hmm. But it always mm -hmm. felt to me that that was a bit easy like an easy solution that wasn't very effective, mm -hmm. uh, still yeah. expensive, but not really used among teams. So I was wondering whether there are certain things you believe work particularly well and companies should look at. Yeah, I don't know that there's anyone, you know, I wish there was one that really works for every organization. But what I've found, depending on what the identity of that organization is, it, it can be very different, right? The types of work that they do, the level of maturity the employees have, these sorts of things. I'll tell you one thing that as of late has really been what I think uh a uniter for a lot of organizations is uh, the prevalence of Zoom and Teams meetings and all of this. And, and, and I think we talk a lot about how it's disconnected us. And I agree, we're, you know, we're a bit more disconnected than we used to be as far as we're, we're isolating ourselves a bit more and things like that. 
But for these organizations who are working with people all over the world or in different locations and things like that, they are actually meeting together more often than they would have if Zoom had not become such an important tool. People are understanding how to use it. Even in my experience, you know, we're talking together right now, right? And this may not have ever had the opportunity to happen if you were just selecting people in in your area, right? And so yes. Yeah. What has been so interesting with that is then not only has that allowed us to work within the employees that we've always had, but it's been nice that we can select employees who are not in our backyard, who have a higher level of, of diversity. Uh, for me, even for myself, my operations manager, she's in Portugal, right? And so she's she's somewhere separate from me. And there are things that she understands about things that are happening in Europe that are very relevant to me and that are super helpful for me to know that I never could have gotten in my backyard. And so that's uh, as, as much bad that has come from the Zoom era, there's a lot of positive things that have come from it yeah, as well. Yeah. That makes sense. And and what, what other formats would you recommend? So do you go through and say, okay, there should be one-on-one format, there should be one-to-many, like a town hall, there should be, I don't know, coffee with the CEO where yes. it's, I don't know, 10 people for a coffee in the morning those sorts of formats. Is that yeah. something you actively uh, advise companies to do? Yes. And and so the very first thing within every organization uh, is the one-on-one meeting. I want to make sure that they're having these. I want to make sure that they're doing them well. And what I mean by this is this needs to be a set-aside time on people's calendars that are recurring, that deal with, uh, you know, both personal and professional things, right? And we're talking just a quick check-in. So in some cases, these could be as short as like 10 minutes. And in some cases, you might need to go 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the individual and your relationship with them and how often you normally see them. But the key to all of this is to have that habit, right? And that's the key to every modality that I'll talk about. You know, we we want the, the departmental meetings, right, are so important. People uh, tend to focus on project meetings and make sure that they're having meetings over particular projects or something that they're working on. But we want to make sure that when we're having departmental meetings and that these are built in um, and that they can actually communicate things that are useful to the employees, okay? So a lot of the organizations that I work with, they'll have something like this in place already. They'll have a departmental meeting in place. But what we'll find is that most people hate them, right? Most people are frustrated with them. And so that's when we have to break it down and make sure that we're doing in a way that's actually helpful to the staff. Um, What we understand about meetings is that the people who lead a meeting are much more likely to say that a meeting went well than the people who were participating in the meeting. Uh, and the I think it's The Science of Successful Meetings, which is a newer book, Stephen Rolberg, I believe, uh, breaks down all the science behind this. Uh, but if you're a leader and you're saying, I think there's no problem with our meetings. Our meetings are pretty good. You well, are there are always problems wrong. with meetings. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but but I think that they're getting better because people are much more aware also of the cost Absolutely. of uh, unsuccessful, unproductive meetings. And I'd love yes. to come back to your initial pitch, which was that this will make teams crazy productive. And I completely yeah. see your process, right? It's very intuitive. And as you said, business mm-hmm. shouldn't be complicated. It should be yeah. common sense. We just tend to complicate it. <laughs> Let's say right. I do this. 
And then I said, well, look, where's the productivity now coming from? I realize mm-hmm. people feel uh, more empowered. They 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 mm-hmm. like coming to work more. I get all of that. But where's right. the productivity going to come from? That's such a great question. So the productivity is built into each piece of this. And I'll give you a simple example, right? If we're having these regular one-on-one meetings, what we're likely not doing is having a lot of interruptions and side meetings that sort of... People are unprepared for, uh, people are wasting time in just to check off a box. I sat there and I listened, whatever it was. Uh, and so we're, 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 um, making more efficient use of our time by having those meetings set aside. But just taking this one example, let's also look at how the fact that we were able to talk once a week, just very briefly, caught that someone on our team was kind of headed in a rabbit hole, you know, headed in a direction that we hadn't intended the project to go. Well, we caught that in week two, instead of catching it in month three or four. And so all that time that she was chasing that rabbit hole, we're not we're not doing that anymore. Right. We're 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 eliminating that waste. And so in every little component, like say appreciation, for example, when we're telling people exactly the behavior that we like to see, now they're demonstrating that behavior. Right. And we're able to all head in the same direction so much more clearly. So the way I think about it is most of the time when I first start working with an organization, it's a lot of people giving their best intentions, but the arrows are all pointed in different directions. Some people are Northeast, some people are South, some people are, and because of that, we're moving very slowly. We're not moving together. We're all getting work done, but at best, we're moving very slowly in the same direction. When we, go ahead. (laughs) No, no, I love this because, um, what, what is leadership, especially now as a post-pandemic world? I think leadership is is one of the most important tasks of leadership is to make sure everyone focuses on what matters because yes. we don't have time or energy to focus on things that don't matter. And mm-hmm. you can only do that, as you say, if, if everyone is aligned. And what I love about the one-on-ones, and, and I try to do this as much as I can with my team, is provide coaching. What I don't like to do is go in and say, oh, you did this good, this was good, this was not so good, do, do, do. Um, I, I don't think that helps morale or is, is, is you know, we're not, we're not at school, right? So th- these are all very, very smart people um, who've chosen to work with me. Um, and that's it. And, I, you know, you need to treat them with respect. But but they also come because they want to learn. And there's maybe something I can, I can give them uh, as, as part of their journey, right? So I always try to coach them. And for me, this is a hallmark of a high-performance culture, that there's constant interaction, constant coaching mm-hmm. with other people in the organization from whom you can learn. And learning goes in all directions. So I learned about TikTok for my team. It's not something, you know, they know much more about this than I do. So, mm-hmm. but so the learning works in both directions. But what I wouldn't want to do, and this is, this is often happens in corporates that you sit down with your boss or supervisor every three or six or 12 months. And then it's this monthly or, or quarterly review meeting, which, which I think are superfluous and counterproductive and I always dislike them. Even when I was a junior 20 years ago in a corporate, it's like, this makes no sense to anyone. No, absolutely not. And one of the things, and this is a great way to remember it, this is in the book that I was talking about earlier by Marcus Buckingham, The Nine Lies About Work. One of the things that he says is people don't need feedback, they need connection. So, Oh, this is brilliant. 
Yeah. And so being able to really connect, this is what helps to ensure that we're all, we're not those arrows going all over the place. We're one arrow, we're going together, we're headed in the same direction, and we're actually making quicker, more productive movement as a result of it. Fully agree. I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. I wanted to ask the question because that is still sometimes a point you hear, but that's that's Mm -hmm. all fluffy. But what about productivity? We have, you know, we have financial targets, but hang on these go hand in hand. Absolutely. And it's a great question. And, and, and I'll say one other thing I'll hear from naysayers uh, when we're talking about, you know, people with objections um, might be, we've tried some of these things before, right? Like I've been in one-on-one meetings and they were horrible. So we stopped doing them. Right. And it's just like anything else. Sometimes my son will say he doesn't like potatoes. And I'll say, well, I mean, have you had French fries? Because French fries are good. French fries work. Have you had, <laughs> you, know, you can't just say one-on-ones don't work. Yes, one-on-ones who are not run well with the right motivation, with the right perspectives, they will not work, right? But these are the foundational pieces that when done well, will make an organization successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you also mentioned, obviously, values at the beginning. So to what extent do you think companies need value statements, mission statements, vision statements? I have to say, uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit cynical, I have to say, about these. Yeah, so I glossed over this a little bit in the beginning. This is our, our perspective when we talk about setting expectations, right? And so what I think employees need more than anything or what teams need more than anything is expectations, not values and these sorts of things that that are very commonly talked about. And so what I mean by this is a document like a culture code, if you're familiar with that concept, this was Daniel Cole's, you know, had a great book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, around this. This concept digs much deeper than, uh, you know, we support each other, right? We get into, we get into, how do we support each other? Like one of my clients, for example, um, their practice is that they would have to pass clients off between different departments, right? And so uh, the way that they support each other, because, you know, having a supportive team is important, right? They are very clearly in saying when we support each other, we make sure that X, Y, and Z documents are all together and that the handoff looks like this, Right. And so what we're doing there is we're taking a value, we might say, in common business language, and we're making it actionable. We're saying something that somebody can actually do something with, because if we're just saying, uh, you know, the fluffy, we want to be innovative, we want to, you know, be passionate, whatever it is. Respect. This means different things to everyone, right? What does respect actually look like? We might say something uh, in a culture code that says we don't gossip. Now, that's good but let's get more specific. We then say, when someone's gossiping, here's how we handle the situation, right? And so we really talk them through the actual expectations instead of just the values. I mean, we can give them the heart of it. We'll let them know, you know, here's the overarching idea. We want to support each other. But more specifically, here's the way that we're going to do that, right? Because there's a million different ways that you could support if you just say we're going to support each other. We want to be more specific and more actionable than that. Would that mean rather than a vision or mission statement, you would have a culture code instead of? Is that Yes. 
That's yeah. that's what I recommend. And, and, you know, we may have organizations, sometimes I'll work with organizations that say, hey, uh, you know, corporate makes us do this or the government has this, you know, we can we can fulfill the requirements, right? If somebody makes us include that, we can fulfill it. But what we're going to live by, and this is just intuitive, what we're going to live by is a culture code. Just like how yeah. we dress yeah. is based on a dress code how we live, how the culture is, how our beliefs and practices are, that's going to be made up of the culture code. That, that, that's a great insight. Um, we, we could talk for hours, uh, Kristen, that, that <laughs> at some point, of course, we have to wrap it up. I wanted to ask about hiring because hiring for culture is obviously, that, that's a big topic because when yeah. you go into the hiring process, people have this in mind, okay, you hire for skills and you hire for culture and you need to tick those two boxes at least mm-hmm. right, to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. What's your take on hiring for culture? Yeah, this is a tough one. First, I first I'd have to ask the person, do you understand what your culture is? <laughs> uh, the hiring we, person, right? The hiring, the person, yeah, the hiring manager. Yeah. I would say, do you under do you understand um, the basics of what your culture is? Because it's going to make it very hard to be able to hire for a cultural fit if we don't have this in place. So uh, foundationally, we need to, you know, have something like a culture code, which helps us to explain um, what our culture is like. But I'd also caution about just looking for culture fit. Um, There's much more out there. This is assuming that our culture is wonderful and we want to keep it exactly the way that it is. And, uh, you know, as a human being, just as a person, I would say there's lots I want to improve about myself, right? (laughs) In the same way, there's lots of what we want to improve about the organization. And so what we want to be able to look for is culture add. That's one thing we need to keep in mind. So what can they bring to the culture that our culture doesn't currently have, our culture needs? How can they feel an element that we're looking for? And another, because we are living in such a fast-paced, quickly moving society. I hate to you. I feel like I'm uh, just repeating some buzzwords. But, you know, things change quickly. And we want to be able to have people who can adapt to culture. And so what we're looking for in that is culture adaptability. So are they someone who can come in and handle when culture changes? Can they be able to move with the times in the same way? And I I feel like the question that always comes with this is like, well, we have a code. We're just going to keep it the same the whole time. A culture code is ever evolving, right? As the organization evolves, as the people within the organization evolve, we keep evolving along with it. Just in the same way, my yeah. values that I wrote down in my little journal when I was 12 years old are not the same ones as they are today. You know, uh, I'm constantly evolving and so will the organization. And so if we're looking at people that we want to keep long term, we want to look at their ability to be able to adapt to the culture and not just simply fit in with the culture. Yeah, that's interesting um, because the culture of fit is, is double-edged sword, right? Yes, you need people people who kind of fit in and not like a, stick out like a sore thumb, but at the same time, it is often kind of a pretext to hire more people like myself. Exactly. And that's the scary bit, right? This is the part yeah. that concerns me the most and why I'm very challenging when I say, do you understand what your culture is? What, how are you defining that? Um, because many people are defining it based on, well, if I hire somebody that uh, is like the younger version of myself, that's what we need, you know, or someone who I would enjoy having a cup of coffee with. That's the guy I'm going to hire. 
And that, as we know, does not lead to a diversity of ideas and opinions, does not lead to an increase in productivity. It leads to a bunch of yes men, yes women, people who are just doing what you ask them to. And uh, that's not that's not yeah, the that, CEO that, that is... I'd want to be. <laughs> that's no, not the no, it's very, very fair, very fair, fair point. Uh, <laughs> I think if really before we close, at, at the bottom of this is how people feel when they come to work. I, I would argue, right? It's like, do I like to come to work? Do I like my coworkers? Do I like what we do? Uh, or am I indifferent? Or do I, you know, really dislike it? Mm-hmm. And maybe the indifferent part is actually the worst, right? Because if yeah. people dislike it. They, they tend to leave relatively quickly um, because they have other opportunities. But the, the you know, what you don't want is disengaged and indifferent people just stay for the monthly paycheck. So if, if we look at this from a big picture perspective now, um, how do you, how do you change in the transformation process, how people feel about the workplace? Ah, this is such a great question. I know that I'm talking to uh, a mature, uh, a mature CEO type when they ask me a question like this. So (laughs) let me let me mention first, this is not maybe at the most strategic level, but I have to mention it. There's this thing called the emotional culture deck. And it is such a great tool that you can use an activity that you can go through your staff with and it actually picks out you know how we want to feel in work at work and how we don't want to feel at work and I have to give a plug for that because it's such a useful tool but at the strategic level I think we have to understand uh, that the every action that we take has an implication to the way that someone feels And we might have gotten to where we are as a CEO by making some tough, quick decisions. But as our organizations grow, we need to be able to get to the root of what drives people. And ultimately, that's going to be the way that we make them feel when we're here. And so we've got to do a little bit of evaluation on ourselves (laughs) and make sure that we're willing as individuals to understand the gratitude that we have on other people's feelings. And I'll use the smallest example that I see all the time, that text message that you get from your boss, your CEO, that says, hey, come up to my office, right? In that moment, the amount of panic that you have caused in that person just by simply sending that text message is something that you may not have thought much about. But it has impacted their day at this point. They were in the middle of eating lunch. They've set the food down. It's going to get cold. They're leaving. They're going to see what it is that you need, right? Because it could range anywhere between this is your last day here and, you know, hey, did you check out the football game last night? We don't know. We don't know what. And so as a person who cares about the feelings of our staff, we understand that our hierarchical position, our authoritative position leads people to make certain ideas about us. And instead of sending a text, you know, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but instead of sending a text that says, hey, can you come up to my office? It's simply Hey, you know, later today, if you want to talk about that proposal, come to my office, right? And it's the smallest shift 
that really is a shift in mindset that helps just people understand how their actions as a leader, CEO or otherwise, their actions as a leader have major implications for the people around yes. them and they have a great responsibility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. That was a great example. Krista Meshman, thank you so much uh, joining us from the United States. Much appreciated. It's early morning over there. Um, the Speak Like I Say was brought to you by Havis. That's your walk-in, one-stop studio in central Berlin for all your video needs. We produce uh, very rapid content. And uh, if you're ever in need of some good videos very fast, we can help you with that. Kristen, thank you so much. Is there any final recommendation for CEOs, business leaders out there who are thinking about their company culture? One thing they can do today that will help improve their company culture. Uh, this is a really simple one. If there's just one thing I could tell you to do today is to say say thank you to someone for something that they've done for you and do it in a very specific and sincere way. It really will brighten someone's day and it'll likely your own as well. It will. Wonderful. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Krista Meshburn, thank you. Thank you.